we've got to differentiate, we've got to know what it's about. I think we've got to sort it out for ourselves, make sure everybody's free from any kind of idea that, um, that the Lord is going to value our good intentions. Okay, good intentions counts for nothing. Okay, we get it. Good intentions. If I'm lying in the desert, dying of thirst, and somebody comes past on a camel and says, My intention. My, I really would have liked to give you water. <laughs> it doesn't help me. It doesn't help me at all. So good intentions doesn't do nothing. Counts for nothing. But if the good intentions need, leads to action or decision. The good intentions is based on what the truth is, what the Word of God really says, what the Word will is, then it's not our intentions anymore. Then it, it leaves the heart. It should maybe flow very swiftly through our being. That's called inspiration. Or unctioning. But uh, intention is something that's stuck in you. It's there. You can't identify that it's probably been there for like... Ever. Dusted off every now and then. So if something's in there and it's good, and you have to dust it off every now and then, it's no longer good. Because then it's not true. And if it came from you, then it was never good. Does that make sense? And so... Um, we want to monitor those things. So we're going to look again at the deception that God looks at the heart of people. That He's going to look at your heart and He's going to say, well, you meant, you meant to do the right thing. So someone that lived for 70 years is going to end up at the end of their lives appearing at the throne of God and he's going to say you didn't do anything worthwhile but at least you intended to so welcome <laughs> let me give you a reward a little golden star because you, your intentions was good and, and then we've got to differentiate now it's not just about doing nothing there's a lot of people that are running around doing a lot of seemingly good things But if it's not bearing fruit for the kingdom, then it wasn't for the king. Then it was just for the sake of doing good. Now Superman might be doing a whole lot of good things, but if he doesn't preach the gospel in the process, it's all worthless. He was just flying around in spandex looking good. Okay, so... Okay, so... In the end of the day, whether... If I arrive in front of the judgment seat together with Superman, and he saved the world 10,000 times, but he didn't do it in the name of the Lord according to the Word of God, and he's not full of the Word of God, then I win. <laughs> then he's just blockend. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <A> what? <laughs> okay, so... Okay, so <laughs> okay, so we get the picture. Superman appears at the judgment seat of God, cape flying in the breeze, like everybody's expecting. Surely this is going to be an exciting moment. God says, how much of my word do you have in you and how much of it did you live? And I'm standing there, knee high, <laughs> next to Superman, <laughs> and nobody's expecting anything to happen. It's going to go, how much of the word is in you and how much did you live? 
I'm definitely winning. Right? They can bring Spider-Man, they can bring Thor, I'm still winning. <laughs> okay? So that's basically, that's, that's how wonderful our story is. It's going to depend on how much of the word that you know, understand, not preach, but do, live. Not good works, works done in the way God intended them to be done. And if our, our work should bear fruit for the kingdom, mm -hmm. then it's good works. Otherwise, it's wasted works. Does it make sense? Um, someone asked me this week, someone that's not in, in this fellowship, they understood that um, tithing is part of the law and it can't be valid anymore. They said, so actually, does it mean we should just use the money we want to give to God just to look after the poor people and feed the poor people. Now that's a big waste of money. Mm -hmm. You're not giving it to God, you're giving this money to the poor people. Mm -hmm. So see, this is how we understand things. All things that look good on earth isn't necessarily considered good works in heaven. Mm -hmm. It's only good if it was in connection with the kingdom. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying we don't reach out to the poor, worldly poor, but we are first going to allocate our time, attention and our resources to those who are part of the kingdom of heaven. What does it help? I sponsor a drug addict to go to rehab and he ends up going to hell. What did I achieve? Did I achieve anything no. with the love that I showed? What does it help What does it help I, I put a disadvantaged child through high school and he goes off and gets a good job and he lives his life and then he goes to hell. What did I achieve? It's not hard, it's, it's just sensible, it's logic. Everybody agree? Anybody agree? <laughs> so we understand that we have an outward focus, but we have a body of Messiah focus. Mm -hmm. Everything's about the body. Remember, besides the body of Messiah, none of this entire creation is going to be left over. Nothing's going to survive. It's only the body of Messiah that's going to survive. So, we want to live with a focus towards the body of Messiah. So, for ourselves, we want to be full of the Word of God, understand the Word of God, and live the Word of God in wisdom and obedience, so that Messiah can be formed in us, as part of the body. Because the more the Messiah is formed in me, the more I'm a healthy part of the body. So just in that, I'm already becoming a good work, His good work. Mm -hmm. And if everybody's busy with that, then everybody's blessing the body, by becoming a good work in the body. <clears throat> and it's simple. We talk less. We say less stupid things. We, we only do what is beneficial and wise. Does it make sense? Okay, so it will make sense. Okay, <clears throat> now, when it comes to God looking at the heart, do we realize that just about all the Christian world believes that? They never figure out how it works. And then, what is he looking at? He's looking, you have to have a good heart. When we say it like that, how dumb does it sound? I'm just going to say it for what it is. It doesn't make any sense, but everybody believes it. It's like, oh no. It's just going to maintain a good heart. Good according to what? Mm. Mm. How do you miss the fact 
that most of the times it's not good. No. It comes back to how all our definitions change and how all our definitions differ. I mean, like grace and faith, even the word good, I mean, what the world considers good and what God defines as good is completely different. Yeah. Um, so a good heart of the world, I mean, nothing is good outside of God. So outside of God, nothing can be good. So it comes back to basic definitions and what the word defines. See, it's, it's, so it's important that we, we not, I'm not saying that we should ignore the heart, but at least we should be um, sensible and sensitive enough to realize that surely my own heart can't be considered good. If we were just looking for selfishness in our own hearts, would we find it? Can I tell them your first big repentance that you came to me with? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've since then repented, so it's fine. <laughs> she thinks so. But anyway, so we... Um, Maybe this is a reminder. Remember you repented of this thing <laughs> three years ago? Accountability. <laughs> so she just started... Um, a serious discipleship and she came to me right after a call in tears and said I, I can't believe the stuff that I'm finding in my heart remember that mm -hmm. and she was crying and crying and crying I was like why are you so surprised <laughs> I was a good person good person never did anything wrong <laughs> so see when the light started shining in, Nadia probably really thought she was a good person. Did you think she was a good person, parents? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was <the> person. <laughs> You're just quiet. <laughs> She's just like, I don't know, man. No comment. <laughs> she didn't drink too much. She didn't swear. Yeah. So the fact is that um, I don't think most people actually are able to descend their own hearts. That's why they think for some reason that God looks at their hearts and is pleased. So she realized she was like shocked. She said to me, I don't think that I really love people. I was like, yeah, so? You said it a bit nicer, at yeah. least. Because I was really, there was like snot everywhere. <laughs> I was like, there, there. Don't be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. Calm down. So, and then she, then she also said, um, she can't leave how selfish she is. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I think I said a lot of things. Let's hear it. <laughs> so that was quite a surprise when she realized that maybe she's a little selfish. Anybody, has this happened to anybody else? So we didn't know. How did we not know? Perhaps just to add, I think part of the, the real disappointment was that it was after my baptism and then it came out of my heart. So that was kind of the big shock for me. I thought, well, I died, so now I'm perfect. And then he was like, no, <laughs> no, you still need to work. And that was, that smashed me a bit. Because then it was like, oh no, it's still there. Still need to grow out of it. That was a big disappointment. So the thing is, it wasn't that her heart wasn't circumcised. It was she was, she never realized that she had to give up on the idea of whoever she was and what she had. Because you see, the right response would be to come and say, I have no heart. That would be better. 
Because the truth is, you get baptized, you have no heart. You have, you're going to learn to get to know His heart. His heart is going to impress on us, impress on us. It's going to weigh down on us, and then it's going to form somewhere in our in our lives here. But it doesn't. His heart's not going to come and be with us here. You're just part of Him there. So you're His body. So His heart is beating in you. And it's the you here, in contrast to his heart there, that's so disappointing. Mm -hmm. But now, anybody that's not in him, that says they believe in him, they will insist that he's looking at their hearts. Where did they get this? Let's have a look at the scriptures again. I want us to get this right, because this is something we're going to hear over and over. We're going to... And, 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 you know, people say this and we kind of ignore it, but it's a big deal. It's a big lie. Mm -hmm. It's a big lie. Because any time they're actually not interested in knowing what the Word says, they're just going to go, well, I have a good heart. Mm -hmm. Now the Lord says He will spit the lukewarm out of His mouth. Vomit the lukewarm out. Okay, keep that in mind. Let's go to 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Okay. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So tell us what the context is. Okay, so the context is Samuel the prophet has been sent by God to go and anoint the new king because he's fired Saul. And then Samuel shows up in Bethlehem and invites himself to Jesse, David, King David's father, for a feast. And then asks Jesse to let all his sons pass by so that he can see which one the Lord has called. Or predestined and so the first son comes by and Samuel thinks oh look at this man this is definitely the next king of Israel and then as he's thinking this then the Lord says to him no this is this is not the man and then this happens seven times every time the Lord says no and then we know then eventually he sends for David so this is the main source of that whole doctrine where Christians today are walking around saying that God when God looks at our lives he looks at the heart and he's therefore satisfied he's not going to look at how much you know the Bible they actually say <laughs> you know it's not about how much of the Bible you know it's not about how many good things you do it's not about how many times you go to church it's God looks at the heart and they get it from this which is ironic because he only proved one man based on his heart. Now why would he approve King David based on his heart? Because well, maybe he really mm. had a good heart. Well he was still pretty young, so maybe, you know, fairly young, still innocent, nothing evil coming out of his heart. So we want to run through this again, so that if you had to encounter this you could just Onset straight out. Mm -hmm. So what do we know about King David? King David was in the wilderness looking after the sheep, meditating on the things of God. Mm -hmm. We know throughout his reign, he refers, often would refer back to when, or even before his reign, he would refer back to what God had taught him while he was tending the sheep. How much he learnt about God, the revelations that he had, the moments and the hours and the days that he spent in the presence of God. What didn't, do we? Didn't God say David was a man after His own heart? Exactly. And that's gonna reveal something more. That there was something of the image of God imparted on David. It wasn't David's own heart. It was mm -hmm. what had taken form in David's heart. As a young boy, he was already searching for God. He was already finding God. He was taught by God. He was meditating on that which was known of God. 
But there was something else. He had developed a care for the sheep that was going so deep that he would fight bears and wolves. He says mm. that is what had happened. He, he had developed devotion and dedication, sacrificial attitude, the willingness to put his life on the line. So courage, devotion, dedication was already developed in his heart. In the wilderness, him together with God all alone, and it was towards the sheep. So God was still teaching him about the body, about the kingdom, mm -hmm. in the simple ways. Now what do we have? We have a word, we have terminology for courage, devotion, dedication, sacrificial attitude. There's a word for it. What is it? Virtue. 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 So we know that King David had a revelation of Yahweh. How do we know this? Because when he has to face Goliath, his expression is not coming out of nowhere. He's stepping on to the battlefield because of who he knows Yahweh to be. There's a devotion. So virtue had already been added to faith. So faith is the revelation of who God is and what He has provided. So this young man, when he has to appear in front of the prophet already has these things, faith, at least faith and virtue. And knowledge, that's what mm. So, that's it. Now, he's not looking at an empty heart, mm. just a naturally good person. Mm. He's definitely not, not looking at the man David's heart. Mm. He's looking and finding some of himself. Mm. He's already looking at an instructed heart. Sure. Sure. Is that his character? We, the church calls it character. They always say you, you, know, you have to develop a Christ-like character. They never tell you how. Mm. Now, again, that's the heart. So an instructed heart. A heart that has been instructed in the ways of God. That's the only way to, to change the character or develop the character. So again, everything boils down to being well instructed in the Word. Um, yes, so King David had been instructed in the wilderness by God. But King David's not a normal person. For most believers, they're going to have to be instructed by the fivefold ministry and the Holy Spirit. Very few saints are just going to be instructed by the Holy Spirit on their own. Because how will they know if they are being instructed in the right way? The person that is not instructed within the authority structure of the fivefold ministry are instructing themselves, even if the Holy Spirit is working with them. So this will become dangerous. Make sense? Because then we're depending again on the goodness of our own hearts. Now, you see, when we are walking in close fellowship together, I don't have to depend on my, my heart. We're going to see the scriptures that tell us the heart is deceiving. So, that is, fellowship in itself will, be, will start to govern, govern that process being instructed, formed, the forming of character. Does it make sense? Everything okay? Yeah. Okay, let's go. Now we're just going to run through... Uh, I, I'll just try to find New Testament scriptures that talk about the heart. We want to do a proper, quick study and see that you guys know... I'm just, not just nitpicking a few scriptures to make a point. We're going to look at anything we can find, and if you guys find anything, add it to the list so that we can make sure we understand what the Bible says about the heart. Okay. You can start at the top and just run us through. Okay. And there's a lot, so now we're doing a lot of scripture. Uh, 
scriptures. So the first one is Matthew 5, verse 8. And it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Right, when it comes to understanding the context of the heart in um, relation to resurrection, our walk on earth while still in the body, this is key scripture. The pure in heart. Now, is there any chance that a person on their own can be pure in heart? What's the what's the um, standard for purity? So now, you see, somehow the people in the world read this and go, oh, all I have to do is be pure in heart and then I'll see him. Mm-hmm. Never considering what purity. Okay, so if you had maintained an attitude of not one negative thought for an entire day, no selfishness, no negativity, only focused on the will of God, and you maintain that for an entire day, does that qualify you as pure in heart? Because the thing is, the next day is going to come. So there's no hope. So we are purified in dying in baptism. In us dying, He washes us with His blood. We are resurrected in Him. And... All sin is forgiven. Now we are pure in heart. Why? Because all sin has been forgiven. It's no longer dependent. It cannot be dependent on that. The pure in heart is going to surrender everything to Him and be resurrected. Now then we are able to learn to fill ourselves up with the Word of God to walk out a lifestyle of not being offendable, not causing offense and not walking in unbelief or um, unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment. Okay, so then you start seeing the Lord, which is going to cause greater uh, steadfastness in that (coughs) purity, obviously. What do you want to add? No, I'm just thinking, this is at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Kind of the entire Sermon on the Mount defines what pure in heart would look like. And we know we can't be that or do that out of our own, definitely not. And so it just comes down to what you said again. So we know that these are attitudes that we can understand and pursue, but it's not achievable in the flesh. None of these be attitudes. We're not saying that, oh, he's just done it for us and now you don't have to do anything. And we pursue it out of having been renewed and purified. Now we pursue to maintain that, to enter into what has been given. So we still pursue it. Nobody here is saying, oh, the Lord just did everything for us and we don't have to do anything. The point is that with all our effort, you'd never be able to be pure in heart anyways. On your own. But after being purified, we can enter into the fullness of pure in heart. But it's His pureness, it's His renewal, it's Him. Mm. Okay, we understand that. Next scripture. Okay, next scripture is in Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Personally, that scripture kind of always scared me a bit more than it was like, oh, at least he's a discerner of my heart. It was more, oh, yeah, he's a discerner of my heart. <laughs> So it's not a scripture that's applicable on someone else. 
It's a scripture that speaks about the Word of God is going to do things in our lives, going to separate us from the flesh so that when He discerns our hearts, He's not going to discern your fleshly heart. But He is going to, we, 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 before, okay, let's talk about prayer very quickly. The most important thing about learning how to pray is that you don't start praying until you have sorted out with yourself what's really going on in your heart. And this teaches us to be honest with ourselves. It teaches us to prioritize. It teaches us to be honest with ourselves and God regarding our motivations. So if we approach the Lord in prayer and we find that I'm becoming aware of the fact that my motivations, the motivation of my heart, my heart is not pure. Then I can, then I, I can address it with Him and say, Lord, the reality is that I'm not just unselfish. The reality is I find that there's still selfish motivations in me. Now, that sets your prayer course. Now you go, Lord, according to the fact that I've been forgiven and I've been set free from the flesh, teach me how to overcome in these areas. Teach me how to see change in my thoughts, my motivations. Now motivations seems that it's coming from the heart, but it's coming from the center of your being. It's coming from what has been formed in you. Does it make sense? And, and that center is slowly being changed. That's where he's being formed. But in prayer, it's in... You don't just dive into prayer. You don't just decide, I'm going to pray now. Because that's when we come into his presence and we don't even know... Why? Have you, have you ever had people phone you? And they start talking and you can just hear they've never decided what they're going to tell you before they press the call button. Has it happened? It's frustrating. Sort out what you want to say before you phone. <laughs> okay, it's not happening too much anymore, but I, yeah, yeah, previous years people would come see me for counselling. And they'd make an appointment and then come sit there and I realize I don't think they know what they want to talk about. And I was like, they're waiting for me to tell them what's going on in their hearts. But, which is fine. I know a lot of people in the beginning need someone else to tell them what's going on in their heart. That's fine. But then, if you don't know, then go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is not me praying. This is me going, help me understand what's going on with me. I'm confused. That's fine, you can ask him that. But don't go into prayer and then go and process your confusion in his presence. It's obviously not a good thing to do. Okay? Um, the fact is we're not going to come anywhere near him with that. Double-mindedness, we get nowhere. So, in prayer, Let's just talk about the most important part of prayer. Is you sitting with you. You go like, Lord, please ignore everything that's going to happen right now for the next half an hour. Please <laughs> don't, did that so often don't listen. Don't listen to a word. This is, I'm going to sort it out yeah. until I understand. Then I'll come to you. Please don't, don't notice anything I'm doing. I literally then, did this so many times in the beginning. I was like, Lord, please, I know you're always here, but please just don't listen now. This is not prayer. <laughs> please. <laughs> it sounds... Silly, but it's better. And we go, okay, now, I'm going to sort out this mess in my head. Because I want to pray, but I can't pray out of this place. And then you, you sort out. I want to go pray, so now I'm still upset with someone. And then you can sort it out. Okay, so if I want to pray, uh, then it means I'm going to have to forgive this person. 
so it is us. <laughs> Don't go tell the Lord, I forgive this person. <laughs> forgive Lord, the person. forgive this person so that I can pray. <laughs> forgive the person so you can pray. That's it. <laughs> so you sort it out. That's the most important lesson I can teach anybody on prayer. Sort things out. Decide what you want to say. Prioritize. Prioritize. Go like, if I had, if I could only bring one or two things, what would it be? Because the Lord certainly doesn't want me to bend his ear for the next hour. In circles. That's it. And then when you've done that, you go, okay, Lord, I'm ready to pray. Whenever you're ready. <laughs> so we go, you go, you go, Lord, bless my vegetable garden. He goes, you haven't watered it for a week. You haven't planted anything. <laughs> so you sowed the seed. Now you haven't watered it. They're like, Lord, why is my vegetables not growing? Bless my vegetables. They're like, water the garden. Okay, so we've got to identify these things because this is how we pray, people. We pray like this. We pray like this. Okay, so make sense? So, important things. Let's sort things out before we pray. Deal with your heart, deal with the intentions, deal with the mess in your head. Did I cause problems because I made some foolish decisions? And then, I don't go talk to the Lord about it. I go like, listen, you. Yeah, exactly. I sometimes give myself a talking to in the mirror. Literally, yeah. it works really well. Don't, don't take it up in prayer. Go like, you. Do. Stop. Selfie mode on your phone. Okay, yeah. It's like, take a video. <laughs> And then play it back to <laughs> Without praying, you do that, blessing will fly. <laughs> the Lord will just be like this with brilliant blessing. <laughs> Bless this guy. You saved me so much time. Wonderful blessing. Okay, so, okay, so we get it. Okay, let's go on to the next okay, one. Next one's in Hebrews 3, 8. And it is, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. Okay, so what do we know about the heart from the scriptures? That first, people can harden their hearts. Okay, this, how does this work? You don't clench the muscles in your left breast. <laughs> Okay, where do you, and how do you harden your heart? In your thoughts. It's, again, an inclination connected to decision-making. You might not sit down and decide, but your thoughts somewhere became opposed to the truth or the person of the Lord. That's how we harden our hearts. Yeah, because in verse 10 he's going to say, they always go astray in their hearts. Do you want to re read that verse? Oh, oh, I'll just read 7 to 11 then. Yeah, thank you. Um, so 7 starts, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath that uh, they shall not enter my rest. So let's focus on the fact that it says they have not known my ways. The main reason people don't enter into the promises of God is because they don't know His ways. Yeah. People rebel because they don't know His ways. People that know His ways don't rebel. Have you noticed that more, the more you get to know His ways, the less we want to rebel? Because His ways are good. Exactly, you can trust it. 
The days we rebelled, we were always in rebellion because we didn't understand his ways. It was the main cause for it. So the antidote for rebellion is get to know his ways. Okay, next. The next one is also in Hebrews 10 verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. James 4, verse 8. Just before we read that, so sometimes we feel like we're going to get stuck in some situations because we might know cognitively the Lord's ways that we should let something go. But then we cannot approach Him with a pure and a pure, clear conscience because we, 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 want, we want to sort things out in our own righteousness. Mm. Now, it's the sprinkling of the blood that breaks that power. Because I've been forgiven. You've got to decide. Is there something that you, that you think, I can't get past this point? Something's holding me back and I can't, just can't get past it. Any form of being stuck, rebellion, judgment, bitterness, you either know, and you either know that you've been sprinkled with the blood and you're living in the reality of it, or not. Now, a person that hasn't been sprinkled, they're stuck anyway. But the moment we turn our attention to how we've been forgiven, that we've been forgiven, then you'll, whatever's there should dissolve. The blood dissolves it. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, James 4 verse 8. Um, and it says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Okay. Just a quick thing on this. So here he connected the heart with double-mindedness. Okay, now the purification of the heart that happens once in baptism. Is the washing of the blood, the circumcision of the heart in the sign baptism, that's all one event. Can't be separate. Then, now it's only the double mindedness. Okay. Next one is Matthew 15 18 to 20. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murder, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with uh, unwashed hands does not defile a man. The other one is 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Okay. <laughs> Next one is 1 Timothy 1 verse chapter 5. Oh, chapter 1 verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Right, now, this is a significant scripture. Read it again for us. Because the crowd that's always saying, well, we just have to love each other. <laughs> <laughs> now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. So it's not just Oh, I've got a love. 
Anyway, I can, I'm going to decide how I'm going to love. I'm going to try my best. My, whatever I give you, that's my best, so accept it. Okay, so lo- the purpose of the commandment to love God and love your neighbor is love from a pure heart. Okay, so it immediately excludes love from just the normal kind of state of the heart. Love from good morals. Yeah. So the entire world is saying, well, they just love. Their moral way of loving, that's good enough. He says, from a pure heart and then? Good conscience. Good conscience. Ooh, boy. <laughs> Good conscience. Is there anybody here that had a good conscience before? No, we didn't teach you that you have to remain upright in the sight of God. That the issue of conscience is a responsibility now that you put your trust in His perfect work of forgiveness and His perfect provision for righteousness so that you can maintain a pure conscience and then out of your daily actions you try and protect that pure conscience. Hear what I'm saying? We taught you this because even those that have been renewed, if you're not taught this, we will suffer from a conscience that has become a liar. So most people are both guilty and innocent at the same time in their own minds. If you press them on the fact that they don't know the Bible, they insist they have a pure conscience, but when it suits them, they always repent it, because they never feel that the forgiveness of God was good enough. Now we maintain that I've been forgiven. Now I... I have a responsibility to maintain a good conscience in the, in the sight of God, not because I am perfect or sinless, but because my sin has been forgiven and I am in the one that's perfect. Now you see then, your conscience not coming between you and your interaction with God. Now on a Sunday most people go in the church and the first three songs in worship, they spend that time, at least the first three songs, trying to make right with God so that they can worship Him. Clear their conscience. And every Sunday the procedure is the same. Lord forgive me, this week I know I could have done better, um, but I'm going to do better. So can I worship you on the basis that in the coming week I'm definitely going to do better. And the Lord's going, I've heard this like 500 times already. But anyway, okay, go ahead. And thank you, Lord. I know I'm forgiven. Wonderful. I'm definitely reading my Bible this week. And then somehow He lets you through and you can worship and you can enjoy the worship because you really want that to feel good feeling. And then uh, the guy starts preaching the word and you go to sleep. And then you wake up next Sunday when the worship starts and you go like, oh my gosh, I better make right with the Lord. So that's how most people live. But now he's brought us to a place where we can live with a clear conscience, not because I did it perfectly, but because I know I'm in a process where there is a positive momentum all the time. I'm not regressing, I'm, I'm progressing. None of, nobody in this room right now is going to feel guilty about not progressing. You might have walked slower this week than the previous week, but we're moving forward. There's growth, there's change, there's fruit. Okay, just think about it for a moment. Can you guys still remember when it didn't feel like this? Yeah. So now we know longer that. So it's not that you were perfect this week, but somehow 
sitting here, you can have a sense of a clear conscience. Why is that? Although you weren't perfect. And we can love each other because, see, do you remember the days we went to cell group and everybody was guilty? <laughs> so everybody had to pretend. So we couldn't love each other because we were all just pretending with lies. And, and then if there was the slightest opportunity, everybody started repenting. And everybody was tapping each other on the shoulder, they stopped crying, it's okay, you've been forgiven. And next week it's my turn and then you'll make me feel better. Okay, so the way we love now isn't the worldly kind of love. There has to be, these things has to be in place. It's very important. Okay. Okay, next one is Romans 2, uh, verse 5. And it says, But in accordance with your hardness and your impatient heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and re uh, revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Okay, next. Uh, next one is Romans uh, 10 and 9 and 10. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10. Okay, next one, Romans 10 verse 9 and 10. Um, that if you confess with your mouth to the Lord Yahushua and believe in your heart that Yahweh has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Okay, did it tell you what you believe with the heart? Listen carefully what it said. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Yahushua and believe... And the, oh sorry, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Yahushua and believe in your heart that Yahweh has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See now that's that thing, well you've just got to believe in your heart, it's just as believing anything. There's a whole process, Yahushua, the name there matters, the resurrection. This has context. It's not just, uh, of course, he's not dead anymore. It's not that. And then there's believe unto righteousness. Very important. It's not just believing in something. Okay, move on. And next one is Romans 1, uh, 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Again, the combination between heart and thoughts. We, we bring order to our thoughts according to the, what is written. And you fill your thoughts, life with the word of God in understanding, the heart will be pure. When the thoughts become futile, the heart becomes darkened and hardened. What is futile thoughts? Purposeless. Futile thoughts? Purposeless thoughts. Any any process where purposeless thoughts starts overtaking godly, orderly, scriptural thoughts, immediately, even in those that are saved, the heart will become darkened. It's the heart with what we see with God. It's, where the, it's almost the source of everything else. That will become darkened. With other words, your vision will diminish and it will become hardened. Next one is Romans 6, uh, verse 17. But Yahweh be thanked that though you were uh, slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart, that from a doctrine to which you were delivered. Okay, next. Uh, the next one is in Acts 8, verse uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 22. 
Repent therefore of this wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be given you. Okay, a picture. I'll send there's a lot more. I'll send it through. We can even do some more on it. I think it's very important. But here's the picture. Imagine Imagine the Israelites just got really busy. And uh, nobody went into the temple. Or the, the tabernacle. Let's use the tabernacle. God isn't going to keep it clean. So all the time... The flame has to burn, the showbread is changed. Now what if they decided, no, we'll just come back once a year for atonement, we just want to be forgiven. It is the most important thing, isn't it? You just want the atonement thing, because then if God forgives you, then you're fine for a year. So the showbread becomes green, moldy. Water in the labor turns green, mosquito larvae. Dust on the altar, flame goes out. Fish moths are eating away at the veil. Because there's no one, some of the kids are going to start playing in there just before you know there's graffiti against the walls. Next time the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, there's a homeless person sleeping in the corner. I'm so so glad you guys at least at least you tried so hard not to laugh. It's ridiculous when you think about it. Yet this is what we encounter in the world around us, and we've got to be aware of the fact that somehow. The guy thinks he knows nothing in the Word. We encounter them on a daily basis around us. The ones that think they know, they know what some guy in church or in a book or on TV taught them. They weren't in the presence of God. They were somewhere else. There was like someone across the road, across the way from the tabernacle, an evangelist pitched the tent and everybody was there. And that's why the tabernacle eventually becomes dilapidated and abandoned. Now, this is the most important thing to understand about the heart. The presence of the Lord is going to remain there because of the activity, the priestly service. The showbread is changed all the time. The oil is refreshed in the menorah and the water is changed in the labor and all of that is happening all the time. It's not just going to revolve around once a year they're forgiven. It's a... The quiet place is a living place. And that's why the tabernacle remains a holy place. It's vital, it's living, it's that. And so if we're going to understand about the heart, so we, you encounter somebody that says, the Lord looks at the heart, you tell them, 
Well, I'm looking for the Lord's word in your heart. If the Lord looks at that and His word isn't in there, what's in there? I love what you've done to the place. The graffiti is a nice touch. So, keep this in mind. But we've got to know what the word says. There's nothing in the Bible that says the Lord just looks at the heart. The way it is. It talks about a pure heart. But we know that it's purified by dying and resurrection. Washing of the blood. Mm-hmm. Everybody, good night. I think that's just... Equip ourselves to be able to answer these things, understand these things.